0: Hello Bowling Green City Schools. This is Sid. This is Al, and we're here for Al, Al and Sid's Technology, Technology Adventure. Adventure. And I'm sitting next to my buddy Alan Martin, and he is—he's
1: uh, about to burst with excitement. Listen, We've got a rock star this, guest today. We have had some epic podcast uh, shows. This may trump everything, Cedric. It's just amazing. <laughs> Right. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm not laughing at that, you're then right. Then we have to be was, extra professional on this one. Said, I'm laughing so.
0: because of something that was said before we started, so I'm hoping maybe we work through some things today.
1: Yeah, we can work okay. through it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, tell everybody who we have today. Well, uh, we are very fortunate to have a world-renowned, or at least USA-renowned USA. USA, renowned um, (laughs) educator, number one, I believe, Mm -hmm. and uh, presenter across the entire country, none other than the great engagement guru, king of the world, John, you ready for this? Antonetti. John Antonetti (laughs) is with us. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Alan. Mr. Antonetti, we're so glad to have you.
2: I'm excited to be here.
1: In Bowling Green, Kentucky today, talking about uh, technology and education and wonderful things that are going to happen. Yeah. And, um, well, uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself, John.
0: Um, And and with this caveat,
1: we have tens of scores of listeners (laughs) that (laughs) have. And not everybody is completely familiar with your work, especially in engagement. So give us a little background knowing that not everybody is completely sure of what you do.
2: Well, first of all, I'm a learner. Um, I began teaching middle school science in 1984 and became um, excited about the idea of engagement because I realized not all kids wanted to unlock the secrets of the rock cycle. And um, that's what I was supposed to be teaching. And so how do you make the rock cycle engaging to kids who don't want it? Um, A year later, I found myself teaching advanced placement chemistry with kids who are really good at school. Um, Not even kids necessarily who needed to engage. They were just so motivated that if you asked them to do something, they did it. Um, Had great success teaching AP Chemistry and had kids at International Science Fair. But through an odd twist of fate, I ended up in a small rural district in Arkansas, my home state, and um, the Sunday before school started, I was asked to teach kindergarten. Um, I wasn't even sure if I liked small children because they <laughs> hug you all the time and they give you candy that's been in their pocket for a week and um, you just have to love them back. But I learned so much that year in kindergarten about how kids engage. And that's been sort of my life's work since then is what, how do we get kids engaged in school?
1: Well, and I think uh, what I've noticed, the kindergartners are always so fascinated with learning. Oh, yeah. They want to learn and they are so creative. And as we get in the upper grades, sometimes that creativity and that desire to learn uh, just kind of dissipates. It so. does.
2: It just sadly it goes away. I don't know if we um, if kids just start to grow up, but about third grade you start to see it start to slip in kids.
1: So do you, do you have any theories on why that happens, or is? That I do.
2: I think I think third grade is the year because it's the year across the country in the United States that we start testing so heavily, and so the test becomes more of a goal for schools, whether we want it to be or not, it becomes a goal for a school, and learning takes a little bit of a back seat. or, now i back that up, the excitement of learning takes a backseat. I think we still want the same amount of learning, but in order to do well on the test, sometimes we become more efficient as teachers than um, effective in designing learning. And so I think that's a big
1: piece of it. So while we're on that testing assessment, we're in the middle of our K prep right now, which we I'm are. sure you're a, a bit familiar with our right. testing system. What is your philosophy on, um, I guess I would call it statewide testing assessments across the board? Where, where should we be in your opinion?
2: You know, I think there's something to the idea of a, some sort of summative measure, and I think we need we need that uh, for two reasons. One, as a teacher, I need that to literally drive me and keep me on the road so that I know that I'm teaching the standards that the next grade level needs, that the next course needs. Um, but I think we've gone way too far with letting it become such a measure that it overmeasures or over-reports and under-reports. It over-reports the thinking, I mean the, the achievement, but under underreports kids' learning. Um, and I just think kids start playing the game. There are kids who are going to fill in bubbles of Christmas trees on the form and there are kids who get all stressed out starting in April when the teachers start to feel it too.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your personal life. Um, Tell us about your family. I
2: have three children. Um, I have, uh, my oldest is a band director in Fayetteville, Arkansas. My middle child, my daughter, is um, an interior designer. She's actually in Denver right now working on a house for a client. Um, she lives not far from us and her husband is a technology wizard. Um, he's great fun to have in the family. Wizard, is that like
1: Harry Potter type wizard? Uh,
2: or are you referring I, well, to something? She thinks he's so magical. We, oh,
1: okay. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah.
2: Um, no, he's a, he, he does banking, he goes into businesses that are having trouble, and um, he, he self-describes himself as, I'm smart enough to know how to figure out what nobody else in the business can figure out. Hmm. So he, he considers himself a real learner, and he'll go in with the problem, whether it's a technology problem or, it's a, well, he had a bank where somebody got in and closed all the records and the bank couldn't get to him, you know, ransomware kind of things, and so he goes in and just figures it out. And, um Every day is a new day for him, and I just love that he, he likes that kind of work. I don't have that technology prowess. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: But since you mentioned banking, this would yeah. be a great opportunity for us to announce <laughs> that our sponsor is First Southern <laughs> National Bank. Bank. That's right. Here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Right. That was beautiful um, segue. Over, uh, beautiful segue. And <laughs> <laughs> over on Ashley Circle. Ashley Circle, Ashley Circle. that's right. As ask for Sequel. Rebecca or Whitney, yep. and you will get at minimum a free bottle of water, and they will have candy bars. Sometimes they have ice cream and just tell them you mentioned said said.
2: Uh... Now, will that work for me too? It will absolutely okay, work, good, yeah. Good. Good. Well, absolutely. I appreciate the banking commercial, but i got to get my third son in there or else I'm in trouble. Oh, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, you <laughs> didn't say. So <laughs> how many kids three, is that total? That's... Uh, we're up to three, I think. Three, okay. So my third son is a professional musician, and he's auditioning for orchestras around the country right now. Oh, that's
1: so, fantastic. Yeah. What instrument does
2: he play? He's a trombone player. My oh, oldest, sorry. the band director, is a trumpet player. My daughter's a flute player. My wife plays um, semi-professionally in Little Rock flute as well
1: and you play
2: uh the radio um i can play the piano a bit but not i'm nice. not to the level of my children they're, they're all quite musically talented that's excellent
0: yeah cool. um so give us i know you talked about uh how you kind of started um you know your i guess crusade mm-hmm.
2: Crus- that's a that, great word yeah, yeah i mean uh so hey, uh, <laughs> billy graham in there good job <laughs> It is a mission. It is a mission, yeah.
0: How long did you teach before you decided, you know? Uh,
2: So I had like 18 years in in the classroom, and then I became a a principal, sort of. I was a teacher on special assignment in a district that was in trouble, and then um, went to director of curriculum and instruction for district, and then started working with the National Schools Conference Institute. And that's how I became, I guess, where I am now, traveling and working with schools across the country, which is great fun, because you never know the local flavor of a school. You never know what their issues are and their struggles are, but kids are pretty much the same every place I've been.
1: I've, really?
2: Yeah, I've, been, I've had a chance to be in 70,000 classrooms. Terry Stice and I have had another almost 2,000 classroom visits. Um, and whether it's Kentucky or Alaska, kids are pretty much the same.
1: So tell us some of the places that you, you've been, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah,
2: you know, just... well, probably one of my favorite places besides Kentucky and the Grec Region schools um, is uh, Horry County, South Carolina, where Myrtle Beach is. Um, we have a deal with that district where typically every year I am assigned the lowest five elementary schools that are in school, you know real trouble because of their test scores. Um, usually these are schools of poverty. And then I spend a year, six to eight days in each school kind of prescribing, if you will, what they might try this year. And the good news is we've never had the same five schools. Every year we graduate a school and we add another one. So, so that's a lot of fun. Um, that's the, the real poverty place that I work, uh, or one of those places of poverty. The extreme opposite of that is I got a chance to work in Westport, Connecticut. Westport, Connecticut spends more per pupil than any public school in the United States. And um, it's where Martha Stewart lives, and Jeremy Irons, and the kids are all dropped off in, at school by their au pair, who speaks French or Spanish or Portuguese. And um, if you take, if you take Seventh grade Mandarin Chinese, and you stay with it. Then on your tenth grade spring, you go on the field trip to Beijing that the school so pays well, for. Uh, I mean, so it's it's a wide, <laughs> wide, wide range. Um, but the work in both schools are pretty much the same. How do we design better tasks to engage kids in thinking?
0: I like the fact that you said that um, you know, no matter where you go, students are are the same. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what uh, socioeconomic, like you know. they come from it's just the learning is the same yeah um let me back up a little bit i i came to see one of your sessions i think it was when did we have i think two summers summers ago ago. yeah Yeah. and i enjoyed it it was awesome and um what kind of i guess my question is i wanted to ask you was um, you know a lot of people probably wonder when did you, you know, you've wrote how many books? This is our third book. Terry and I are writing at the third book, yeah. And tell us about when you decided to write your first book.
2: Well, I'm a science teacher, but my first book is called Writing as a Measure and Model of Thinking. Um, One of the things I know being a high school teacher is I watched English teachers who grade long lengthy papers and spend a lot of time ignoring their own family to grade essays. And as a science teacher, I wasn't quite sure what the role of writing was. But we had an initiative in Arkansas that we were going to all become reading teachers and writing teachers at the high school level. And as a science teacher in high school, like many teachers, that's not what I signed up for. So as we got into it, I thought, how, what, why are, why do I need to have kids writing in science? And it's basically so they can capture their thoughts, they can do research, experiment, revise their thoughts, make a claim. So um, the first book was just in an effort to say, rather than asking math teachers and science teachers and people who don't need that much writing, what's the writing that matters most? And so um, I just started researching for about it was about seven years what I would put in that book. It wasn't, it, it didn't start to form until I met an editor who said, um, well I told him I was struggling to get started writing. Again, I'm not the writer. And he said, you know what, let me just um, I want to hear you interact with teachers and I'm going to record you very much like we're doing right now with, on this podcast. And he just set up a sound system as I talk to teachers. Um, two days later, he sent me the first chapter of my book and said, "This is your book." Oh wow! I said, "Well, it's just it just sounds like me talking to teachers in a you know teachers' lounge." He said, "That's the book that teachers want. They want they want that natural, honest conversation from somebody who's in the classroom." And so um, I just sat down over the course of two weeks and knocked it out. Um, this wow. one's a lot harder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Is my job is I go around and work with teachers. Uh, and, and they're not looking for uh, something incredibly different they no. just want to have good conversation right. they just want some quality ideas and thoughts right. and, and the majority of the teachers are, are, are very bright and, and they're able to take that idea and then run with it right one thing that I found is that they had they struggle with the time to reflect with other colleagues I agree and they're not able to engage in that conversation as much because they're spending all their time doing the other things.
2: You know, when I was director of curriculum in Sheridan, Arkansas, we were a school-in-school improvement. So because of that, we could ask for a waiver of teacher days. So we reduced our school year by 12 days. Kids weren't coming those 12 days, but teachers were, and we spread those 12 days across the calendar. So every three weeks, we were able to have teachers sit together, sometimes in vertical teams and sometimes by grade level, And that's the year our scores grew the most, because finally we gave teachers time to do that. And um, I know that after the scores came back, our local newspaper had a headline that says, kids learn more when they stay home. But (laughs) when you got past the headline, the article really described why, what what was happening at the adult level that made achievement. And it wasn't just achievement, because we were really trying to make the classroom more engaging cognitively. So what were we doing when the kids weren't there? We were just having those conversations.
1: And I, I don't know why we can't get to that point here. Uh, it, it, it seems like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad omen to not have the kids there. But there in my, my job, I get to converse with other mm-hmm. folks. And, you know, I just left a meeting with our, our, our principal at the high school, our assistant principal, who is a, a very strong, talented curriculum person. And everything that I got from those conversations just made me that much better. And of course my job is I'll go share that information with someone else. But the teachers are always considered to be the, in my classroom, I'm the disseminator of knowledge and that's my entire role. And I I think it's kind of messed up how we do that now.
2: I I guess it's just counterintuitive to parents or the community that a professional needs time to sharpen their saw, that a professional needs time to hone their skills. We assume teachers have it all. And we ask so much of teachers but just the idea that sometimes sitting down without the burden of kids are coming the test is here we've got to get ready for this just here's an hour that we're going to set aside to talk about x whether it's student engagement or thinking or what do we do with the less motivated kids Um, i think every school i'm in has already got the ability to grow and move sometimes i think (laughs) that the magic that I get credit for is, because I was going to be there, you sent the kids home, and I got to spend a day with the teachers. Mm -hmm. So it may have been because I was there, or it may have been because we got a chance to just be professionals without the added burden of, I say burden, that's not the right word, but without the the distraction of the kids that we love um, and the responsibility of teaching them.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I often think what would be the, that would be so bad if we were to decrease our, our instructional days by a certain amount to give us that, you know, issue? And I know you said your district you were in was because they were in a school crisis. We were you know? in school improvement, yeah. So, no. you know, I mean, is there really a, a, a reason why we couldn't across the board? You know?
2: Well, interestingly enough, in Arkansas, once, once, that, once you got out of that, mm-hmm. you couldn't ask for that waiver. Wow. Uh, in other words, if, if you're working well, then we need you to work well by yourself. But if you're not working well, then circle the wagons and figure out what's going on. Instead of the idea of, let's take that circle the wagons mentality and get together on a regular basis. I mean, it's the same reason we go to church. It's the same reason we belong to social clubs. It's the same reason we golf every two weeks. It's because we need to recharge and and grow professionally. I mean, I think, Teachers are giving all the time in the classroom, and sometimes they need the other side of that reciprocity.
1: And I think they need a sense of community. Exactly. And you, know, you yeah. mentioned church and golf and right. hanging out with the other folks. I think I think we don't always get that chance. I know the uh, the, the PLNs have tried to work on bringing a sense of community. Those of us that use Twitter right. in, a, in a professional way, all of a sudden I have, even though it's virtual, I have colleagues all around the world right. that I can get support from almost at any time. And in the regular school day, we rarely get a time to do that. And if it is, it's filled with, well, this parent challenge or that student challenge or, you know, so anyway.
2: Well, one of the things I learned teaching kindergarten that that threw me very quickly (laughs) that fall was that every kid on the carpet wants to be heard. And that's that's part of the energy of kindergarten is everybody wants to be heard, even if their idea is similar to the next child. So if you ask a kid, you know, I don't know, we're, we're sounding out the word cat. and The first kid said, I have a cat. And the next kid needs to say, I don't have a cat, but I'd like a cat. I wish I had a cat. If I had a cat, I'd name him Snuffy. And then the whole carpet has to talk about cats. And as a kindergarten teacher, <laughs> kindergarten teachers know this, but as somebody coming from high school chemistry, it threw me because it took 20 minutes to get through everything. But I think that's just not kindergarten. I think it's human. I think human, human beings want to be heard. They want their ideas validated, and they don't mind feedback or challenge if they get validated first.
1: I, I was snickering about the cat scenario because I've done a lot of teacher professional developments, and I can see a teachers oh, yeah. doing the same thing. You know, one teacher says, "I got a cat." Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I got it's, a cat. It's, it's human. It's human. We're yeah. all human to do yeah. that. Um, so, so I have a question, too. Sort of a two-fold question. Uh, if you were going to give advice. To a teacher right now, mm-hmm. what would you give as an advice to, let's say a, let's say a veteran teacher right now? What would you, what would you tell a veteran teacher? Hang in there. <laughs>
2: That's what I'd say first. But I think one of the things that I've learned, regardless of where you are in your career, is um, the teachers I see who still have joy in their thirtieth, thirty-first, thirty-second year, trust the learners. They trust their learners to to make sense, to make meaning, and they've given up on themselves the role of having to be the disseminator of information, as you just said. They have learned how to enjoy kids learning with them, in front of them, for me sometimes in spite of me. Um, I learned, I didn't have it my first couple of years, but when I learned to start after kindergarten, to letting kids think they were helping me in content they will engage more because they will they do want like again all humans we want to be heard and we want to be validated and the best way to be heard and be validated is to be helpful
1: that's that's amazing because i think i know some teachers who like to walk in the classroom and feel as if they are the smartest person yeah. in the room and for years i think teachers have kind of thought that they have to do that you know you look at the, it's beaver, the Kleber, model exactly beaver cleaver model um, his teacher was given all the information, and Beaver just sat there and listened.
2: Mrs. Crump in Mayberry RFD. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: And so my my experience going around with teachers teaching them technology, people say, oh, well, the old veteran teachers, they, they're slow to get it. But the veteran teachers that are good, right? they already know that this is a piece of the puzzle that they've got to work in and let the kids use technology as their engagement and so forth. But
2: I think you just hit it again. What you just said and what I said is the same. If you trust the learners, you're not afraid to put technology in their hand. Exactly. If you trust that kids... Now, they're going to be kids no matter what, whether it's kindergarten or 12th grade, so you have to know how human beings act. But if you trust, if you build a good task for kids and you give them the task. And the technology can be a tool to further that task, to make it more open, to build a bigger audience. Kids will run with it. And you don't have to know how to do it as the teacher. You have to know what you want out of it and then trust the learners to go there.
1: Okay, excellent. That's uh, quite profound. Do you agree? Oh, Mr. good, I? good, I agree. good. I like that. I was hoping uh, for something I'm profound. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna use that anytime I get. I'm gonna say John Antonetti and I uh, agree that. We do, yeah. And, uh, uh, so the and Cedric part, nodded. And as Cedric, well, yeah. Cedric yeah. Yeah. which brings me to the question: Okay, uh, Mr. Browning is an aspiring administrator. He's mm-hmm. looking uh, someday to to an administrator. What advice do you have for administrators who may be listening to our podcast that wants to improve um, education? You know, one of the
2: things that I get to do rarely, but I love when the opportunity comes up is when I'm asked to go into a school with administrators, walk through classes, and then give teachers feedback because I always say no. <laughs> if they ask me to walk in a teacher's class and then give feedback to that teacher, I, I'm i not sure that teacher wants it. So what I have done instead is, is the same thing I would do with any aspiring administrator. Let's go into teacher's classroom and talk to kids while we're there and watch a particular kid. Maybe we're gonna look at little Terry or we're gonna look at little Alan and we're gonna watch what's going on and then we're gonna meet with the teacher and say, what questions do you have for what I saw in your students because you are so busy teaching? I mean, I think the, The analogy that fits really well, people get it right away, I say is teachers are always running the whole circus. And when you're running the whole circus, you can't watch all the acts. And so when I go into a classroom, and I think this is true for any administrator, is um, what can I validate? What can I validate for that teacher? And I'm not talking about finding something like your room is very attractive, Mrs. Jones. I'm talking about what did I see in the kids that if I were a kid in that classroom I would value. And I have been in 70,000 classrooms and probably only 10 would I say, hmm, I couldn't find anything to validate. So I think when, you, when, when an administrator says to a teacher, hey, John, I was in your classroom. I was talking to Michael during the learning in science today. Um, it was fun to see how much he knew. As a teacher now that my administrator has just said that, we're on the same page. We're on the same team. We're working for the same cause. So I'm, I'm now ready to perhaps ask a question, well, what else did you see? Mm-hmm. Or, did you notice Marcia? Marcia's struggling. So I think when, when it feels like it's not being done to us, but we're a part of the reflection cycle, then I think teachers really want to grow. Um, I was in a school, I was in a, just telling Terry this this morning, I was with a group of administrators and teachers in um, Missouri this week. It was the Missouri Teachers Academy. And as part of a year-long professional development, these 300 teachers were parts of um, regional cohorts like CREC. And the cohort um, leader in each one visited each classroom twice during the year and then sat down with the teacher. And to a teacher in that group, every teacher said, this is the first time I've had real feedback. So back to your original question about an aspired administrator or any administrator, um, I think we have to validate teachers where they are, recognize their struggles, their strengths, their challenges, and then ask them where they want feedback. Because we can offer something that they can't see. We've got eyes that were not a part of teaching it when we're watching it.
1: You know, you may not believe this, but I was an assistant principal, I will and believe that, that very example is how I used to uh, do my evaluations. I, mean, I always wanted to hear. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to hear what the students said. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you to
2: our <laughs> studio audience. <Yeah. laughs>
1: I always wanted to hear what the students had to say yeah. because they're the clients. Right. And then I wanted to hear what the teacher had to say. It's, they would always tell me things that they wanted to improve on. Right. And they, but, but I wanted to also tell them things they're, they're good at. And yeah. so many times as administrators, you know, there's an issue, or whatever, and we're trying to look for bad, not bad things, but things that we could document in case we have to release them. Yeah. And uh, anyway.
2: Well, I think you just hit something again for both the teacher and the administrator. An efficient teacher will make things run and the efficient administrator doing the same thing. We talked earlier about the time aspect and how we don't give ourselves time. So if I'm being very efficient as an administrator, I can leave you a note of what I saw that was excellent and what we might want to work on. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But if you didn't want that, forgive my language, but you're just now pissed off that I left a Post-it note. Right. Um, What's the conversation? I, I mean, I wish we could almost take people out and say, okay, it's evaluation time, let's go to Starbucks, you know sit in the classroom, talk to kids, and like, let's get away from here for just a little bit so we don't have the pressure of, I've got a meeting i got to go to, and your kids are coming back from lunch.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so we could just have that.
1: So Mr. Browning, you take that to heart, buddy, when uh, you start <laughs> evaluating those teachers in your future. Uh, Be definitely. easy you know? Remember this day. John Antonetti said... Um, and,
2: and, and I'll add one more thing, Cedric. Yeah. And I think this is a big part of our second book that Jim and I wrote is... Um, when an administrator comes into my room, no matter mm. what, you're always my boss. When another fourth grade teacher comes into my room, he or she's a colleague. Right. And I'm, we may you and I may have the best relationship teacher to principal, but there's just something about when we start talking about my classroom, there's going to be a natural defensiveness mm. because I know what all I've got to do. You don't. I also don't know what you have to do. So what we have found in schools to get around that is the best feedback cycle comes from getting teachers into each other's classrooms. Because I know many teachers, 20-, 30-year veterans, who have never even been to the south wing of the high school. Mm -hmm. Never even been in those classrooms. And yet we're responsible, all of us, for for these 800, 1,200, 1,300 kids. But we don't even know the whole building because we're so isolated in what we're doing. And I think the minute a science teacher is watching a kid who may struggle in science come alive in band or come alive in a math class, then as a teacher, I think, okay, what is that band director doing? What is that math teacher doing to get that child turned onto this learning that's not happening in my science classroom? And I think that's some of the best professional development we could offer is just let people see what's going on that's good in the building.
1: Well, Cedric... uh, I haven't said a word about our time. Cause so you're enjoying I'm, yourself. I'm enjoying myself, and, and I'm I can't gonna, believe to I'm not going to go with that. We usually try to keep our podcasts around 30 minutes. Okay. And, I, and I know I've only. So, supposed yeah. to, how much more time do you have? Uh, we're writing a book, and we have a deadline of June 1st. And that's a segue like to my <laughs> question, by the
0: way. So, tell us a little bit about We had Miss Stice on. She told us a little bit about it. You tell us a little bit more about the book, as okay. much as you can, without giving it all away. I, you know what?
2: i And I'm segue into and... our
1: technology Okay.
2: Talk. Well, I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and listen to the podcast to what Terry said about the book, because my version of the book may be a little different. So um, wait a minute. You
1: have not listened to our podcast prior to today? I am today? so sorry to
2: admit to you that I did not know about this until this week. But now... Now it's only malpractice if I don't go back and research it. <laughs> See, when you don't know something, you, you can't be mad at me that I didn't know it. Okay, well, okay. we'll all right. Now. I'm a learner. I said that. I'm a learner, okay? Okay, thank you. But I am curious to hear how Terry described the book, because my version of this is um, Dr. Jim Garver, my late business partner and I, um, 70,000 classrooms around the country, and even into <coughs> Mexico and, and Canada, um, we thought we knew what engagement was. And I still feel really confident on our definition of engagement, our definition of of cognition, our definition of rigor, which is a word teachers struggle with a lot. Um, But I have struggled for a long time wondering what is the role of of technology in engagement? What is the role of technology in rigor? And um, I was often asked, Jim and I were often asked to come into districts that had just spent a gazillion dollars on a one-to-one initiative. And then we were gonna come in and supposedly validate that the technology was causing kids to be more cognitively engaged. But that's not what we were seeing. Those were the rare exceptions, not the pattern. What we saw was the old work that was low rigor, or or rigorless, if you will, um, was now being done with a screen in front of it. But it wasn't more uh, communicative. It wasn't more community-based. It wasn't more meaningful. Uh, Now, again, Maybe we just weren't in the right schools. It wasn't until um, Terry and I met in a workshop a number of years ago that she came up and said, you know, these engaging qualities that you talk about are what technology does. And I would agree that technology has the power. I know something as simple as IMDB, the App International Movie Database, huge fan. That's one of my favorites. And I know that you're not supposed to have your phone on in a movie theater, but I have walked out of many movies because I can't stand it. I need to know who that nurse was. I know I saw that nurse in another movie, and so I go out to the lobby, I don't bother anybody else watching the movie, because I need to know, and technology can give me that right then. I also know how powerful it is to keep up up with other people through technology and social media. I was late coming to that because, um, well, honestly, my, my business partner was a little Um, I think scared of technology about how would we manage a social presence with our company and with our work. Um, So meeting Terry was great for me because she already knew the power of technology and then the work that I was bringing in just seemed like a natural fit. Likewise her her technology skill and what she knows about technology, I can say how can I have my kids or my students or whether even adults in a workshop do this thing and she'd say well have them do this, download this app, da da, da 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 And it was just so natural and easy. And one of the biggest breakthroughs for me, a couple of years ago, we were in a, in a training in Russellville. And she set me up with my first Google Classroom because I've been out of the classroom since this started.
1: We go, Terry! You, know,
2: <laughs> you know, so so my son is a huge Google Classroom. Uh, I think he's an expert at it. But it's easy to watch an expert with the minute you're in control of it. Mm-hmm. And you've got especially if you've got a room full of teachers who have heard you're supposed to know stuff and you're standing in front of them and you give them a task, but because you're on you're using Google Classroom well, the way Terry set it up, I can see that this back table is mis- uh, has a misconception about the assignment, about the task. Or I can see that this group over here has something that's really getting in the way of their learning and without having to be right there in their heads, I'm right there in their heads. Mm-hmm. So I know where to go with that. So even if that is just... If more efficiency in my teaching, I think that gives me more time and more ability to be more effective in my teaching. So for us, this book is an answer to a question that teachers ask us uh, when we're doing the co-workshops is we're going to get more examples. I want more examples of how technology moves the engagement or how technology amplifies the thinking or makes kids want to come to the task. Um, again, last week I just did one of Terry's activities that I've seen her do with this group of 200 and some teachers in Missouri. And I had three calls on Monday, or on Tuesday, of teachers who went back and tried it and said, best lesson I've ever given. So, um, and it it wasn't, it wasn't big. I mean, I think that's one of the misconceptions that engagement and rigor and technology are so big and it's a week-long activity. No, it, it was 10 minutes, but it was so powerfully engaging that when I was ready to go in my pacing guide to the next activity in the workshop with the adults, they're still on their phones. So that proves what Terry knew and what I knew but was afraid of. How do we marry this? When we wrote, when Jim and I wrote our book on 70,000 classrooms, there is no mention of technology in the book. Mm -hmm. Published in 2016, so I often get this question and I had a nice answer and finally somebody asked me, why would you write a book in 2016 about about learning and not include a chapter on technology and my response was well we don't have a chapter on pencils either or air conditioning or football teams or school buses we know schools have all those things but those things in and of themselves are not the learning so with Terry's help I can still say that but know that just like a school bus could get that football team to an event that could change the lives of an entire town technology can do that if I will use it well
1: Absolutely, yeah, and 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 we need to guide our teachers in how best to do that. Yes. I mean we, we train our bus drivers to drive correctly down Ex- the road. Well said. Yeah. Um, and we and we 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 train our kids and how to do the sports, and we have all that down. But the world of educational technology still needs people need to be guided, uh, and it needs to be more on the um, forefront mm-hmm. of how we're doing things. Now, yep. Terry and I have spoken many times about. The technology is not the thing. Right, that's right. The thing is learning. Right. But we can't ignore the fact that we have all these tools. I mean, right now, we're looking at uh, a a table full of wonderful technology tools that, honestly, I could take almost every child in our school district, and they could do everything that I've done here if we give them the opportunity.
2: That's not to discount you, Alan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you.
2: But you know, I think another thing that you, that you just said that, that keeps coming back to me is you and I probably, when we train teachers, sometimes do it in the absence of students. Yes. Because that's efficient. Yes. And one of the things that I think this book is going to do, I hope, is when teachers see it multiple times, when they see how technology can enhance or change or transform a lesson. Um, or how, how to plan a rigorous lesson with technology, and they see multiple examples. Then they go, oh, now I've got it. Mm-hmm. I wish in our book we could have children present. What we do have is we'll have a website uh, dedicated as a companion to this. And so with every chapter, multiple times, you'll be able to go see kids live in classrooms or hear teachers talk about lessons or actually see student work.
1: So I have just uh, one burning question, one burning and then question. I think Cedric's going to drive us into the Robert Lightning round that okay. uh, we're so excited about. Um, what are if I say, "What is your favorite tool that you like to use in educational technology?" What would you think? One or two.
2: You know what? My, mine's real simple. It's anything that allows a kid to see a concept.
1: Now, are we going to accept that as an answer, Mr. Browning, or is that uh,
2: is it too generic? Um,
1: we'll see. I'm sure. It's pretty it's generic. generic. I mean, <laughs> you don't really have that one. Do so we? he's a science teacher, you know. He's gonna. What's your favorite? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. that so, take the point. You know, he's that. He's John Antonetti, so I guess he can say I, pretty he gets much <laughs> and whatever he wants. Yeah. He's. I mean, he's the goal seven hundred thousand. 70,000 schools. 17.
2: I, I hear you validating me, but I'm hearing a lot of feedback
1: in those same words. Well, this technology <laughs> feedback may not be working so good.
0: I think the word you used uh, last night was guru, right? Guru. Uh, guru. He so. is a guru.
2: I keep learning. That's what it is. And I'm not afraid to share it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. Okay. Well, um, we are... <laughs> my partner here is showing me the time and the clock, and it's closing to... Uh, we're
1: actually gone a long time today. Yeah, I just hope people will listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Which people? <laughs> Any people. My mom has a attention span of only about thirty-two minutes, but oh it is time, typically uh, our moms watch. So okay, good, good, good. So, good. Yeah. ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls,
2: children of all ages, get ready to be amazed. Hands together and make some noise.
0: It's showtime! All right, so that is our little neat little intro for our uh, round that we call uh, the Lightning Round, and that's named (laughs) the Robert (laughs) Lightning. The Robert Lightning Round, round. named after one of our um, esteemed colleagues, Mr. Robert Lightning. He is an assistant principal at Bowling Green High School. And we are going to ask you some uh, random questions uh, what trade me and him will trade off. Okay, my you palms ahead. are sweaty. They won't be necessarily linked to education or okay. educational technology, but just uh, relax, have okay. fun.
1: We'll try to Are you ready? Be easy on you. I think Alan's got Favorite sports three. team. Okay.
2: Favorite sports team. I have to say the Razorbacks. I'm from Arkansas. Oh, they still have a team? Thank you, yes. All right, congratulations.
0: <laughs> All right, we ask this one to everyone just because... We're very curious what uh, people think. Uh, is there intelligent life forms in outer space?
2: I believe yes. Now, it depends on your definition of intelligent, but I'm going to say yes.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, if you won the lottery, what would you do with the million dollars that you win in the lottery today? I'd start a, a, a school. Cool. Like just a school? Or? Now,
2: a very particular school. I'd, I'd want to start a school of um, kids of poverty. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, Terry and I were talking about this morning, something like the Ron Clark Academy, but um, it would all be about inquiry-based learning.
0: Mm, cool, I like that, Uh I like that. Okay, Uh, so you mentioned you were a movie buff, so let's talk about if you were an actor, Hollywood actor, who would you choose today, right now, present day, who would you choose to be your leading Uh, Lady in a movie starring Um,
2: Susan Antonetti um, is the right (laughs) answer.
0: There you go. I like it. Uh,
2: No, and then Sandra Bullock. Yeah! (laughs) Yeah.
1: That deserves a hand clap. (laughs) For you younger people don't know, Sandra Bullock was pretty alright. Favorite movie?
2: Favorite movie? It's a Wonderful Life. Is that too cliche? We watch it every year. I love It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Um, that doesn't seem as exciting, but we'll take it. It's, it's yeah, a wonderful it's, life. We
2: watch it every year. If not that, the other one is up there too. Um, uh, I've lost the title. To Kill a
1: Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. Our
2: dogs are all named after characters in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. So I would have. Yeah. <laughs> I would have
1: never guessed that that would be your favorite yeah. movie on either one. Yeah. You should have seen his face when he said, "It's a miracle life."
2: <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, it's just a little cliche, but yeah. I just I love that scene when he realizes he's bleeding on the bridge.
0: Favorite '80s icon. '80s icon,
2: Michael Jackson.
0: That was easy. Let's say
2: you're dead. Okay, I'm dead. (laughs) Is this how we end?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? 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 what would your eulogy say about you?
2: What would it say, or what do I hope it says?
1: Oh, we ask the questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Cedric, <laughs> so you What that. would
2: my eulogy say? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer it both ways. I I hope it would say that he thought people were great. Um. Hmm. What would it really say? He wrote a book. He wrote. He wrote. He and Terry Stice changed Bro, the face of education. I love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah.
1: And by the way, this is Terry Stice that we keep mentioning. This is, uh, we think everybody knows her, but she is the Region 2 director at the Educational Cooperative there at Green River. And uh, she is probably the best educational technology person in our region. And I'm, we have the best.
2: I'd say in the country that I've met. Wow. Yeah. Did
1: yeah. Did you hear that? That's yeah. amazing. She's my friend too.
2: Yeah.
0: Where would you go in a time machine if you hadn't?
2: Option. I would want to go back to um, England in about the 1600s. Cool. Wow, that's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. What's, what, what stems your interest there?
2: Um, just how uh, I've had a chance to visit England, I'd like to go back in that time and see how close what we think reality was there hmm. really was. Um, I think there were great things happening in England. Um, They were struggling with their role in the world, but that would just be an interesting place to just drop in for a while. Wow, excellent.
1: Pepsi or Coke?
2: Oh, Diet Coke.
1: No one's ever said Diet Coke. Yeah, look at me, Diet Coke. Look at me. I'm the Captain now. Look at this. That's from a movie. I know, that's A modern day movie, not not filmed in the
0: 40s. (laughs) If you hadn't had become a teacher, and an author, and a guru, (laughs) what would you have been?
2: A professional landscaper.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you were a brick in the wall, which brick would you be?
2: Which brick would I be? I hope a cornerstone. Okay.
1: Why you say that?
2: Um, because I think the corner is where things come together and um, my life for a long time I wasn't sure if it made sense. And I think a lot of people think that um, now I'm at 55 I see the experiences I've had and they've come together in such a way that I, mean, I don't know for, for listeners who are not in their 50s um, It's a pretty good decade the 50s because you For us our kids are grown and they're successful and we're we're watching them start their families and um, and the cornerstone is where everything comes together, and it's just this, I don't know, pillar, maybe. That's what I'd like to be,
1: yeah.
0: Two more questions, we have time for two more? Sure, and then we can do this, the song question. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right, my first, uh, my first of my last two questions. Who is the most inspiring person to you?
2: Oh, that is really tough.
1: Well, can you said to her, because oh, we really, kind of literally just met. <laughs> now I don't so have that, an answer. That would be a little awkward. Um,
2: hmm. I'm going to go with my father, I think. Awesome. Uh, my father was somebody who always valued learning, and I guess my version of IMDB is what we used to call the world book back then. You couldn't pause TV, you couldn't pause something when you saw it on the news, but my dad would make a mental note, and as soon as the news was over, the TV show he watched or the movie, He'd say, bring me the D, bring me the F, mm. bring me the L. And we'd look it up and figure out why the character said that or, or where that was. And so he always, what I I think what I thought smart was, was not knowing everything, but always wondering and mm. looking at the next level of, of learning. Interesting.
1: One of my favorite shows lately has been Sun Records. And I don't know if you've seen it. I have it, not yet. seen it, but, No. It, it, it talks about the origins of Sun Records, mm-hmm. which you know, Elvis Presley, Johnny mm-hmm. Cash, Jerry Lewis, and... Uh, I did Perkins. go
2: to the funeral. To? Elvis's funeral.
1: You have... No, no,
2: no. I grew up in Marion, Arkansas. And was that 78? When was that? I was in hi- I know. I was I in was, high school, I but we were there. The we were there in the throngs of people. Wow. Yeah, wow. my best friend Joe Ragsdale and I.
1: So, that's excellent. So, then my, my question was... Elvis Presley or Johnny Cash?
2: Well, Johnny Cash is from Dice, Arkansas. But um, I'm going to go with Elvis because he was able to reinvent himself a couple of times. Yeah, he was absolutely amazing. And
1: and this is a sidebar. I watched a video of Johnny Cash impersonating Elvis Presley on YouTube and it was absolutely hysterical. So should
2: I look that up or should I get the last podcast? Uh, Which is better?
1: Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. (laughs) (laughs) Which which leads us to Cedric's favorite part of the okay. show. What's I have one more oh you have one more question. Oh, I, you I, have one more question too, uh, right?
0: No, I'm done. Yeah. Okay. So this was a hypothetical. So if you had a friend, if you if you were I my do friend, have a friend. Yeah, you were my friend, right? Besides yeah. people that write books. With me, okay. Yeah. You're my friend, and okay. you are. Let's say you're a skilled plumber. Okay. And I have an issue at my home, where I need your assistance. And you're my friend, you've been my Buddy, friend. Buddy, I'd oh, be why. there. It's... I'd be there. Thank you. Yeah. Right, yeah. that's all I need to know. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> means that, I... that means a I... lot.
1: <laughs> so, what song best describes you?
0: Okay,
2: so that's a different question I thought you were going to ask me. what well, my favorite and... song, and what song, but it'll still work. Algero has a song called "Morning." Mm-hmm. And it's just about how when he gets up in the morning, the birds are singing, and he sees the shoe shine man, and he gets to live this new life. And at the end of the day, like any man, he can reach out his hand and touch the face of God.
1: Mm, awesome.
2: It's a great wow. song, great song.
1: Awesome. Well, listen, it's been amazing 46 minutes and 43 seconds. Excellent. Our longest podcast to date. But uh, it's not like you didn't have the gift of... Uh, dialogue okay thank you I so appreciate that. you know we are you, are you sure you didn't
0: come from like the banking world or something i mm-hmm. mean you, you you count numbers and your That's time right. and it's like gosh ah, I,
1: I know what my people want so yeah.
0: if 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 he was a teacher and you came in to see his classroom and he was evaluating how much time we spent would you would you be a little concerned about him
2: well i like that he's paying attention to both See, because now, I heard him say his mother's attention span is thirty-two minutes. So if he's mindful of his learner or his listener, I think that's a good teacher.
0: I did forget that we only had two listeners. So yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, I'm gonna go back so you'll have three.
1: Three. <laughs> we really, we really, really appreciate you being on our show. I Thank know um, yep. it's a, it's an honor for us, uh, seriously, to to have someone uh, like you take your time, your valuable time, and meet with us because. Um, uh, I I know your rates are a whole lot more expensive if we try to book you in one of our schools <laughs> so Vicki Reisel is saying thank you for this
2: love me some Vicki Reisel <laughs> we had to
1: give her a shout out she's retiring by the way that's what I, I heard you know. congratulations to you so Vicky. this to be the last year so um, Vicky, if you're listening
2: yeah thank you for bringing me to Bowling Green Vicki
0: congratulations by the way that's Yeah, it's always congratulations absolutely congratulations yeah. So thank you very much again, and I guess this is goodbye. We're going to play a little Al Jarrell for him. So, there it is. There it is. Yeah. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget,
1: First Southern National Bank. All your banking needs. <laughs>